0: Welcome to the Road Home Podcast with Ethan Nicktern. Join Ethan as he and his guests explore the Buddhist path as it relates to art, culture, activism, politics, Western psychology, and more. If you'd like to support Ethan's podcast, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com forward slash Ethan. Hi, everybody. This is Ethan Nickturn for the Road Home Podcast. We have some upcoming episodes with friends and authors and guests, but every once in a while, I like to uh, just talk on the podcast, share some thoughts or ideas that I'm working with, um, and wanted to do that for this episode, um, and wanted to sort of progress from the episode of this podcast into the Bardo, which was recorded in January when we were in this really painful gap period uh, before Donald Trump departed office after the um, attempted coup on our capital, and when we were in this period where the vaccine for COVID was starting to be employed, but was not very widely available. And now, as I record this in late March, it feels, at least in North America, like we're entering slightly different terrain. Um, although some people may feel like we're not anywhere near out of any woods yet, and there's multiple ways that I agree with that assessment. But there is starting to be a feeling of uh, springtime. Uh, Here in New York, the weather has gotten nicer, and you can feel the kind of mood shifting, which is always really interesting from a Buddhist standpoint, what springtime, uh, does, you know, it's, I think it's actually really good, um, evidence that, uh, we can't just focus on our internal landscape if we are mindfulness practitioners or, uh, people who are studying Buddhism or working with the mind, you know, I think we start out, um, any kind of spiritual path, especially a meditative one, because focusing on what you could call external phenomenon to bring us happiness uh, always leads to disappointment, you know, trying to get all of your right um, objects and environments and relationships in the right order um, to feel safe and comfortable and feel some kind of, Success in your life, it never quite works out. Usually, you can't uh, get all your ducks in a row. The the ducks keep coming out of a row. I don't know where that saying actually comes from get my ducks in a row, but I think it's a good saying because ducks are living creatures and they don't ever do what you want them to do. Right. So, it's interesting. We start a spiritual journey uh, because. Usually we're disappointed by our focus on the status and environments and objects and relationships of the outer world. And so we decide to go in. Um, but I think when we go deeply inward, we have a similar realization that basically uh, we can't just get our mind or our bodies into a certain states and, uh, expect everything to be perfect, right? We actually are influenced by outer phenomenon, by other people, by the environment. You know, it feels simple, uh, exploration of this. It feels decidedly different to meditate, um, in a clean room versus meditate in a messy room. You might say that's because I haven't let go of external phenomenon, but it's also because our mind is constantly affected by external phenomenon. And it feels decidedly different. Our mind feels different uh, that first spring day, you know, when we go on outside without if you're in a place that has a relatively cold winter, um, you go outside that first day without having to bundle everything up, without having to cringe Against your environment, and your mind feels different. We kind of like you can see it here in New York on the spring days. If you go to a park or just walk down the street, literally people's minds are kind of like blooming like flowers, you know. And so I think a kind of spiritual maturity comes when we realize focusing on external phenomenon doesn't work, and focusing on internal phenomenon alone doesn't work and what we really need to focus on what i think you know the buddhist path is actually about is studying and being present with and being compassionate to the interplay between inner and outer the interplay between mind and its environment the interplay between self and others and the interdependence there so um you know coming out of covid I think we're seeing how relational we are as creatures um, and how important our environments are, maybe parts of our old environment, 2019 environment that weren't working for us at all. Parts of our relationships or specific relationships that weren't working for us. So there's some kind of yearning coming out of this period um, to do things differently, to kind of recalibrate uh, our relationship between our internal experience and the world around us, um, and so that's that's really what I wanted to talk about is how do we set an intention for the future? Um, because when I spoke in January, I talked about this uh, Tibetan Buddhist concept and word uh, that. Many of you are probably already familiar with a bardo, which literally refers to this period of consciousness between death and rebirth. That's the most literal definition, but it's also kind of a metaphor or an experiential um, example of the space between and the transitional and often anchorless and rudderless and groundless space in between, uh, any two manifestations, anytime an experience ends and the next set of experiences have not begun yet. Right. So then what is the next phase to to extend the metaphor? It's, uh, it's rebirth in some way, you know? And I was thinking um, as sort of my contemplation for recording this podcast, um, the rebirth of what though? And then I start thinking of the music I liked as a young person. Maybe there's a few 1990s hip hop fans listening, diggable planets who actually recorded uh their first album in the music studio where my uh father used to work um and I got a signed Digable Planets poster before they blew up and uh I lost it but uh their their song uh Rebirth of Slick um I was thinking of right so the rebirth of what right what actually um what comes next And what comes after the bardo? And so I think a lot of us, a lot of people I'm talking to are having interesting experiences because we're just at that moment where we can start think about maybe vulnerable people in your world are vaccinated or maybe you're getting vaccinated. I'm uh, getting my second shot imminently. Um, I've heard it can be a doozy. So, um, but I'm really feeling joy and feel joy every time uh, I hear of somebody uh, getting a shot, that sense of relief um, and uh, feel pain. Anytime somebody says they're not going to get a shot because we don't know what it does. And, you know, that's, that's true. We don't know what it does, but we don't know what a lot of things do. You know, we, we don't know uh, what that car is going to do as we cross the street whether it's actually going to stay stopped at the stop sign. But we cross the street anyway, because you got to live your life. And uh, so I feel great joy whenever um, I hear about somebody moving into this collective uh, and personal experience of greater safety. And at the same time, hearing so many stories of anxiety, heightened anxiety, panic attacks, rising up now, in our world, even as we start to maybe move into the light at the end of the tunnel for this period of COVID, um, and then I think there's going to be all sorts of other different experiences: grief, um, sadness, anger, uh, confusion that are just arising. And I think it makes complete sense, you know, if you study the mind, study the way trauma works, study the way our survival instinct works, that those more expressive emotions like sadness, like anger, like the experience of anxiety would rise to the surface as we're moving out of uh, the most survivalist time. Um, and for many of us, this is the most survivalist time we've ever experienced, you know, the the biggest Uh, death event on the world, uh, since, uh, World War II, you know, um, the biggest illness death event in over a century. Um, so that's kind of my, my first advice is don't, don't force yourself to feel anyway, and don't, don't force yourself to make huge plans for how your life is going to be different. Um, because, I don't know. I mean, I, I see the first time that I hug somebody who's outside of my family, an old friend, you know, or something, which I think is going to happen, you know, over the next two weeks to a month, as uh, I see friends who've gotten the vaccine and we're cleared to touch, to have tactile experiences with people outside of our family or outside of our little bubble, Um. I imagine joy and sadness just kind of mixing. Uh, But at the same time, as we move into some kind of period of rebirth, a lot of us are really thinking about um, what I want to do and what I want to do differently. And um, a lot of thoughts and conversations about, like, letting go of the bullshit, you know, that doesn't matter. You know, and which, you know, I think that's a very personal matter to let go of bullshit. But um, it's also a very political matter. <laughs> if we all um, let go of the bullshit that we participate in, the world would probably become a more compassionate, uh, more intersectional uh, more loving place, you know, which which I think we can also align with politically progressive place. You know, if we let go of the bullshit fear um, that stops us from providing healthcare for everyone, um, that would be great, you know. If we let go of the bullshit fear that looks at, like, holding on to assault rifles as some measure of personal freedom. Um, That would be so wonderful. I'm thinking about this as the mass killing in Boulder, Colorado, uh, a town or city. I think it's technically a town uh, dear to my heart uh, just occurred. Um, So there's so much bullshit to be let go of. And then, for each of us, maybe it's bullshit in terms of an actual relationship or bullshit in terms of an actual job um, or bullshit in terms of the way that we p- show up to a relationship or bullshit in terms of the way we do our job. I'm sorry, I'm saying bullshit so many times, but that is how it feels. You know, right now it's just like, I don't want to do that stuff again. Like life is too short. And this precious human birth, to put it in terms of the Buddhist teachings, is too precious and too fleeting to spend time participating in that which I don't believe in, you know. I mean, we we always participate in things we don't believe in. That's, that's part of living in the society is we create um, familial structures and social structures. And a lot of these things we participate in for the benefit of other people we care about. But a lot of times we don't know why we're participating in what we're participating in. And that's what I call the, the um, chicken with the head cut off approach to life. And I think so much of our, the suffering in our world arises from people of good conscience, especially people of privilege like myself, kind of going into this mode of just like kind of zombie mode where our actions are not intentional. Um, our direction is not clear. Our aspiration is undefined. And therefore, we just get caught up in the momentum of the world. And the momentum of this world has a lot of brilliance to it, but it's also caused so much harm, so much harm. And if nothing else, it just tends to depress us when we work hard for things we don't really care about, uh, when we um, consume things we don't really need or want that don't um, bring us br- greater joy or happiness and maybe along the chain of bringing those things to us create suffering and and unsustainable suffering on this world when we've created these these systems of patriarchy and racism um, that we don't even want to participate in but still we go along you know we go along for, the momentum of this bad ride. And I think COVID has created on both the personal and the social level an opportunity, a bardo, a painful bardo. But that's what it says about the bardo um, in the Tibetan or tantric Buddhist teachings. It's, it's always painful in the sense that we lose our uh, reference points. We lose track. We lose our compass a little bit in the Bardo. We lose our um, cocoon, our safe nest, um, and we're kind of thrust into this unknown situation. But there is an opportunity for rebirth coming out of any Bardo. It's actually the most potent time, as I mentioned in the last podcast. So what is the relationship here between past, present, and future? That's another Question. This may seem a metaphysical question or a philosophical question, but for mindful people, really understanding how we set an intention in the present, how we navigate intention in the present and what that, how that relates to the future is a crucial question, right? And it's crucial to keep in mind what we sometimes call the ultimate truth or the ultimate view. Um, I've been studying, um, because one of my teachers, uh, Dzogchen Kwanla from she, um gave me some teachings and texts to work with um, this set of teachings in the Tibetan or Tantric Buddhist lineage called Maha Mudra. Meditation, mahamudras, Sanskrit, and it means the great seal or the great sign of reality. And these are meditations for working with um, the nature of awareness itself, often very simple meditations, and but explorations of presence itself. Um, and there are texts that give instructions. Um, sometimes the instructions are very simple Sometimes they bring in like somewhat complex elements of, of Buddhist metaphysics and philosophy and psychology. Um, and so there's one point in the text that I've been uh, studying uh, where it talks about the nature of time and specifically the nature of past, present and future and how to hold that in, in meditation and especially meditation when you're resting in awareness. Um, and it goes into something you might've heard before about how the past is actually unfindable in the present moment. We can't actually find a link between now and what came before, right? That the only experience that's verifiable is what's happening right now. And then it goes into the future for the same reason, that the future, I I think you could say that the past is imaginary in the sense that you can't locate it in the present. You can only locate it in memories, which are unstable and ever-changing. You can only locate the past in recordings or um, records. Uh, But the future is even... Less verifiable, because it literally there's there's no way to note it. I mean we might be psychic or we might follow astrology and a, a lot of times there's some people who have very clear predictions that are pretty badass uh about the future, but it hasn't happened yet, and even the people who predict the future well never get it exactly right so there's this sense of the the more obvious work is sort of locating in our awareness that past and future do not exist. But then this text also negates the present moment, which is uh, the part where people um, kind of lose it a little bit. (laughs) What do you mean there's no present moment? That's what we've been taught in any, you know, in any fortune cookie or mindfulness influencers, you know, um, cheesy Instagram post, I, I have a lot of those. So I'm I'm self owning here. Um, there's, uh, um, you know, these references to be present, be present, be present. But what the text says is if you actually start dissecting the present and scrutinizing it in awareness closely The present is actually made up of all of these micro moments of past and future. And we've already determined through our scrutiny that past and future can't be found. So where is the present moment? If it's actually just these really, really tiny one 360th of a second experiences of past and future. So in this text on the nature of mind, it says you have to actually let go of, on the ultimate level, the entire conceptuality of past, present, and future. Now, this doesn't help us try to figure out how to navigate an approach to intention in the present for the future. But what sometimes uh, uh, some of my teachers uh, talk about this is, so so, what are we experiencing in innate awareness and kind of ultimate awareness? And um, one way to put it is that it's a fourth moment, like the presence that transcends any conceptuality of past, present, and future. Um, I like to think of it as the zero moment because it's it's pre-conceptuality, right? It's pre. Uh, I get that that actually means past in our language, but this experience of Awareness, not concept of awareness, but experience of awareness is um, not based on any ideas about past, present, and future. And so this is called ultimate presence, or, or you could think of it as ultimate presence or ultimate awareness. So why am I saying all this? Because when we get into questions of intention, we can often really trip out on productivity and goals and um to-do lists and perfectionism and um self-criticism and comparative mind so working with all of those relative obstacles there's a lot of uh teachings and practices for how we work with those but there is a kind of awareness that we can tune into before we contemplate intention. And this sort of pre-conceptual zero moment or fourth moment, I think it's really important to access when we are trying to come up with any game plan for what we want to do next, what we want to do differently, what project we want to work on, what goal we want to set, etc. Like to just rest and tune into nowness, which is still a concept of present in relation to past and future, but tune into that. Access just mind in its purest state and awareness. And this I think is very hard to find. It's certainly hard to find if we're holding on to concepts like, am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? Is someone else doing it better than me? And all of that stuff comes up when we actually try to tune into this fourth moment. But for just a moment when we actually, the experience of it is relaxation and trust in your own mind. Those are the two elements of experiencing this fourth moment. And out of that space, I think there's a lot of intuitive insight that comes into what's important to me. What do I want to let go of? What do I want to work on? And it might be all of the same things, (laughs) That if you analyzed and journaled and made to-do lists and, you know, worked with any kind of tables that any sort of uh, methodology tells you about how to make a good plan um, for the future, it might say you might say, come up with the exact same proposal. But there's a quality in tuning into presence in this way, tuning into this nowness that is not a concept concept. Uh, where it confirms a kind of relaxed trust in oneself. And then we can come back to the relative experience of time uh, and say, uh, okay, what do I need to do next? Um, What relationships do I want to focus on? What do I want to do every day? What do I want to make time for? What do I want to let go of? Do I wanna change careers? You know, Do I wanna go back to school? Do I need to let go of this relationship or this friendship? Um, how can I engage based on everything that happened in 2020 with the political arena uh, so that the world becomes a more compassionate place? I remember this um, time Probably about 15 years ago, when I was at a uh, workshop with the great Ani Pema Chodron, who you probably have heard of or know. Um, (laughs) One time, a friend referred to her, uh, uh, introducing her book as uh, the Buddhist gateway drug. (laughs) Uh, I thought that was funny. Um, uh, It's somewhat true that uh, Pema. Children is often the, the person um, who people read first and gets them into meditation and and interest in Buddhism. Uh, but she's also um, she's not just a public figure; she's an incredibly deep um, teacher. Whenever I've um, heard her, especially when she's doing question and answers, she's really trying to get um, the person to tune into a kind of direct experience. Um, and so, uh, I remember that there was a a young woman at that time, uh, who asked a question and this young woman said, I'm in grad school. Um, and, um, you know, we talk about being present a lot in meditation and Buddhism, uh, but I'm in grad school, which means my entire existence is preparation for the future. So I'm always thinking about the future and what credentials I need, you know, and what, um, what recommendations I want and, you know, what my path is from here, right? Um, from a Buddhist standpoint, yeah, I think grad school is entirely, could be thought of as future preparation, right? And so she says, like, it's hard for me to think about being present because my entire life is sort of situated as looking ahead and trying to get ahead for the future. And so like, how do you hold those two, you know, Ani Pema, how do you, um, uh, how do you stay present and still like work in this environment where everything is planning for the future? And Pema just kind of looked at her a little bit Riley, I remember, and just said, Hmm, don't you think you can just prepare for the future in the present? And it didn't really, from a conceptual standpoint, didn't really answer the young woman's question. Uh, but I think it held an experiential key, the way i the way that answer hit me, of the notion that if you can tune into your presence, then you can go back to the to-do list, the career goals, or whatever else, and say, um, "Here's the path forward. Here's what I want to focus on." And so, one more framework that I, simple framework that I always carry with me—that's uh, coming out of uh, my book, *The Road Home* is looking at our path, whatever our path is, as unfolding simultaneously on three levels, personal, interpersonal, and collective or systemic. Um, and so when we go back into the relative truth, when we have that moment where we've tuned in to our meditation practice or just our spontaneous presence into that fourth moment, that intuitive insight that is not based on concepts of past, present, and future, but is based on relaxing and trusting our own awareness, then after that, we can start to make a plan. And I think it's always good to think about balancing what practices am I doing or what direction do I want to go in personally? Uh, What direction do I want to go in interpersonally? And collectively. So when I do this contemplation for myself, um, one of the main things that keeps coming up these days is um, writing. So you may see that there's some crossover between personal and um, interpersonal and collective, because you could say... OK, Ethan, writing, I would say, actually, is something I've wanted to do since I was in seventh grade and it's something I do for myself. Um, and sometimes I just do it for myself. But a lot of times I do it and then I have an interpersonal connection because there's a reader um, and then also do it for groups of people. But when I was contemplating my path forward on the personal level, I just really wanted to reemphasize how important to me the practice of writing is. Um, And it's not always a question from this standpoint of intuitive insight. It's not always a question of what brings us the most joy. Uh, Joy can be really a great thing. We should all have some joy. Um, But I think joy sometimes can be a little misleading you know, like what makes you happy sometimes is a question because writing doesn't actually bring me joy all the time. Um, I was talking to a friend who's currently doing a a huge zoom, uh, seminar with the writer and teacher, Natalie Goldberg, author of writing down the bones and others. And there's like, he said, there's like 2,200 people on the zoom. So it's a big, uh, seminar. And we made a joke about like, uh, 2,200 tortured writers getting together on Zoom. (laughs) Um, And writing is sometimes torturous, you know, just like uh, my yoga practice, which is another important daily thing uh, to me. And, you know, my sitting practice, my meditation practice is sometimes torturous. Um, Speaking with someone about my state of mind is sometimes difficult, but they're fulfilling. And they bring a deepening and they do bring moments of joy that are really important. And so writing really seems to be important to me. And then relationships, you know, good, the good friendships that I have, staying up to date with people, uh, connecting with people. And then, you know, the the political engagement feels increasingly important to me. I know that there's a bit of a lag, maybe, because at least um, there's a feeling of this traumatic, uh, immediate threat um, subsiding a little bit. But um, I do feel like here in the United States, a lot of the structures that we have in place, both with the way that our voter suppression system works, in the way that our um, federal government uh through the um senates through the house of representatives through the supreme court is gerrymandered um and all of these state legislative voter suppression uh, bills that are coming up now um are um, basically pushing in the direction of uh, a future demagogue and so i do not to bum anyone out but my assessment is that 2022 in the United States um, will be the most important election in U.S. history, uh, because either what's going to happen is the aging and shrinking demographic of the uh, Republican Party uh, that tried to overthrow our government is um, going to continue shrinking. Uh, To the point where it can't hold national power anymore, which would be just such a wonderful thing for democracy. Um, Or they are going to reclaim power in the House and Senate, uh, in which case I think they will probably uh, win the presidency again in 2024. um, And probably will be with a demagogue who's a little... um, Smarter, faster, and subtler than than Mr. Donald Trump, um, so I don't want to traumatize anyone, but um, we are not by any stretch of the imagination out of the woods right now. Um, we need to really deter- return the United States to being uh, a democracy, and we need to institute it being uh, a multiracial, multigendered uh, democracy if it's going to be sustainable. Um, That's the only path forward. So I think it's really important and it's really important for me to stay engaged that way. It's not, again, not fun per se, but um, uh, feels meaningful and fulfilling. Um, And so those are some of the things that have come up for me in doing this contemplation of personal, interpersonal, and collective. Um, And now really starting to set a plan, you know, which of my writing projects am I working on right now? And which ones do I want to try to get help with and get out to others? Um, and so th- I think this is a good time to start plan making, right? It's a good time to take that fourth moment experience and then say, okay, let's start uh, making moves, as the kids used to say. Um, and let's really start. Trying to let go of some of the uh, BS, you know, let's actually commit to that, knowing that we won't be able to live a BS-free life uh, because we are interdependent with others and with the system. But like, really, you know, from simple things, like simple, stupid things, like I vowed not to order any more books ever from Amazon, only from uh, independent booksellers, right? Uh, Just from simple things like that, like actually, if that's your aspiration, carry it through. You know, if your aspiration is to stay in touch with old friends, carry that through. You know, if your aspiration is to rest more, please make that part of your aspiration. Don't fill that time with BS, you know. And so I think this is a good time to come start to come out of the Bardo into this rebirth of a more intentional life. I don't know what that intention is for you, but I I feel like that's where the energy is starting to be. And it's great when we actually commit to a path rather than that zombie mode. You know, when we actually claim, take our seat um, and say, here's what I'm going to focus on. Not here's everything that's wrong. Here are the problems. Here's what I'm doing wrong. Here's what everyone else is doing wrong. But how do I actually focus on what I'm doing? You know, how do I make the time for that and put in the effort to do that? And even if your effort is to rest and relax more, that actually takes effort, surprisingly enough. It takes effort to not fill time and space with other things it's the effort of saying no um so yeah um those are my thoughts today i really hope that um you're safe and well and everyone you care for is safe and well and um that people you don't know who don't look like you are safe and well that the vulnerable people in your world are, are getting vaccinated, that you're getting vaccinated and um, that um, we're really all thinking about what we want to do to empower ourselves and empower a more creative and compassionate world, um, even if it's the little things and even if they are messy in their execution. Uh the execution is always going to be imperfect and that's that's the beauty of this human realm is it's a place of imperfection um that's almost karmically its definition that this is the realm where things cannot go perfectly but we still have freedom and we still have the ability to tune in and be present and set a direction for ourselves that leads to our awakening. Um, so sending a lot of love and well wishes to everyone. Um, and uh, I'll have some cool guests coming up on the Road Home podcast. So if you're sick of just hearing me talk, I mean, if you're sick of just hearing me talk, you probably wouldn't have made it 45 minutes deep into this podcast. But um, I'll, I'll be joined by some really interesting people in the upcoming uh, episodes. So, for the Road Home podcast, this is Ethan Nickturn, and we'll see you next time.